John, I know that was a rather lengthy reading, but I didn't want to break that up. It, it, uh, it tells the story, and uh, that's where we are this morning. I know that probably many of you will recognize the name of Horatio Spafford. I think maybe even Justin mentioned him not too long ago, but this man, I'll share with you a little bit about his life again because it ties into the lesson this morning. Uh, Horatio lived in the 1800s. He, in 1870, uh, he was a wealthy businessman in Chicago. And in 1870, his four-year-old son, his only son, uh, contracted scarlet fever and died from that. Uh, Not more than a year later, the Chicago fire occurred in 1871. And so this man has just lost his son. And a year later, he loses his business, his livelihood. His uh, factories were all burned to the ground in Chicago. He was left with nothing. He had to start all over again. Well, he had a wife and four daughters that still remained, and they survived the Chicago fire. And in 1872, another year had passed. He decided to go on a trip to Europe with his family, and he sent them ahead on a ship. And he was to join them. He had to take care of some business before he left. And so he would be reunited with them in Europe. But as uh, the case may be, as their ship was crossing the Atlantic, of all things, as big as the ocean is, they collided with another ocean liner. And it sunk the ship that they were on. Horatio's wife survived, but his four daughters were lost at sea. So in a period of three years, he lost his four-year-old son. Then his business was destroyed. And then he lost all four of his daughters in a tragic accident. Upon arriving in Europe, his wife sent a message back that said, I alone am safe. And uh, so Horatio got on a boat and he went to join his wife who was grieving all by herself as he was grieving. And when he got to the point about where the ship had had the collision, the the captain of the ship told him this is where it all took place. Um, It is told that he wrote the song that we sing very frequently. I think it's number 280 in our song books. It is well with my soul. And the first line of that song says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't think we live very long until we come to realize the truth that Job spoke a long time ago in Job 14 and verse 1, wherein Job said, man is but a few days and full of trouble. Life is never just easy for even those who go through life so gracefully and seem to have so little bumps in the road, they too have to deal with their fair share of disappointments and trials and heartaches in life. It, it just happens. It's the nature of the world in which we live. And I would like for us to look at Jesus for the next few weeks, focusing on his interaction with a few people who are trying to deal with life. And uh, Jesus, one of the reasons we love him, one of the reasons we serve him is 
because of by his very nature, when we get to know him, we can't help but love him. The way he had compassion, the way he gave direction to people who were often hopeless. Um, Jesus is irresistible in many respects. But if you have your Bible, open it to John, or Mark chapter 5, where uh, John just read from. And I want us to look at some glimpses into the life of Jesus. And this glimpse has to do with Jairus, or Jairus and, and his daughter. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, and he had a daughter who was sick. And he left his daughter's side. She was at the point of death. He left her to fi- find Jesus. And when he found him, he begged Jesus to come to his house and, and heal my daughter. Lay your hands on her. And Jesus said he would, and they came to the house eventually, and Jesus, it was too late, the child was already dead, or at least some thought it was too late, but Jesus said, it's okay. And he, along with the mother and the father and a few of his disciples, walked into the room, he laid hands on the girl, and she got up. She walked around. She brought that child back to life. That's the story. But I want you to pick out with me a few lessons that we can learn from that very interesting encounter with Jesus. And it begins, I guess, with what I would call a very pitiful dialogue. In Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, we read how that Jairus had come to Jesus. He had heard that he was on the other side of the sea. And so he, being a ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus. And when he saw him, it says, he fell on his feet. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now, you know what I like to do when I read the Bible is I try to put myself in the shoes of of some of the people that live there. And you see, I can read stories and it never touches me. But when I try to put myself and to experience and try to understand the emotions that those people must have been feeling, it creates a whole different perspective. Imagine you are this man, and your daughter is lying dead. Now, Luke tells us it's his only daughter. I don't guess it matters if it's his only or if it's one of five. It's your daughter, and she's only 12 years old. The innocence of a little child, to see them suffer. How many parents have said, as you've watched your children suffer, how many of you have said, if I could take it myself, I would. I'd rather it happen to me than to happen to them. Imagine what this father must have been feeling as he's helpless watching his daughter lie there at the point of death. and He can't do anything about it. And I want you to think of another aspect about this, another angle, because I don't know that we've considered this as much as we should. If your daughter is at the point of death and you're gathered around her bedside, what would it take to pull you away from her to leave, knowing that when you leave, you may never see her alive again, knowing that you may not be there when she passes from this life? You wouldn't want to leave, would you? Here's a man whose daughter is lying at the point of death, and he says, I've got to do something. And as painful and as difficult as it was to pull himself away from her side, he had to go find Jesus. And it's not like he had a GPS, 
and he knew exactly where to go. Can you imagine the manner in which he left? Can you imagine as he would come and meet people along the wayside frantically? Have you seen Jesus? Do you know where he is? And and they might give him a general direction. Well, we heard he was over there meeting with some folks. And off he goes, maybe not even before they can finish their sentence. I, I can imagine in my mind's eye the haste and the frantic uh, pace at which this man was going and asking person after person until finally he sees them. And, and maybe as he was coming up, he sees this multitude of people around him and he works his way through that crowd and gets right to Jesus. And what's he do? He falls at his feet. Significant. This is a ruler of the synagogue. This is a man of position and power. When you see the rulers of the synagogue often displayed in Scripture, they're, they're pompous men sometimes. They, they didn't always have the right kind of attitudes. But here's a man who is desperate and he falls at the feet of Jesus. He humbles himself and says, Listen, my daughter is dying. I need you. Will you come? to my house and lay hands on her and I know she'll get better. Here's a ruler of the synagogue who had faith in Jesus and who was willing to humble himself before Jesus. And I think it's interesting the response that Jesus gives. He said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll help you. And I think that response that Jesus had to this ruler of the synagogue is the same response he has to us when we approach him in the same humble manner. If you come off with an attitude, I don't need God, or you only need him when um, you're trying to get out of a fix and you don't really have a genuine appreciation for him, he knows that. He can read through all that. Here's a man who came to Jesus humbly, and he'll come to you if you approach him in a humble way. James chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Don't come to God pompous. How how dare we come to God with any kind of pride or any kind of pompous arrogance? Uh, I'm a sinner at best, saved by the grace of God. What Upon what platform could I possibly stand before God and have pride about me? I am weak and I have succumbed to temptations in my life, whereas Jesus never did. So we need to learn humility. This man showed it. He fell literally at the feet of Jesus and begged for his daughter's life. We need to have the same kind. Can you humble yourself before Jesus? We're in need of salvation. You know that people who are in need of salvation will not meet the terms of God's pardon because they won't humble themselves. They're too interested in being right about an argument. They're too interested in, in not admitting to their spouse that they're right and I've been wrong. They're too, too interested in, in keeping position in a community or too interested in defending what one's parents taught them or what one preacher had taught them before. And they won't submit to Jesus because of pride. It happens. But it shouldn't. In James 5 and verse 16, it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you come to God humbly asking for help, He'll respond favorably. The Bible tells us in Psalm uh, chapter 34 and verse 18 that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. 
He's near to those who have a broken heart. The sacrifices of God, chapter 51 and verse 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So I learned a lesson from this ruler of the synagogue. He had a problem that was bigger than he could deal with. And so he turned to the one who could. It was Jesus. And he turned humbly. And we need to do the same. I can't deal with my problem with sin. It's bigger than me. I I can't fix it. But I know who can. And so I throw myself at his mercy, at his feet. And I say, Lord, tell me what to do. And he's given us instruction. And if I'll do it, he'll keep his word. He'll heal us. Well, so we have this man coming, having this pitiful discussion. I I can just feel for the guy. And I can almost see him. Have you ever been just at wit's end and and you're shaking? There's so much riding on this. I can see this man just absolutely torn to pieces because he left his daughter and the last he saw her, she was at the point of death and he's been running around. I don't know how long it took. I don't think he made a beeline to Jesus. I think he probably had to do a little search to find him. And and all this takes time. And he's got to be wondering, how is my daughter? Is she still alive? Have I wasted, have I missed her death and I was not there because I'm out here running around trying to find Jesus. And then when he finally found him, I can just see the panic and I can hear him in his voice saying, please, come on, let's go. And so that brings us to the next point, and I'll call a painful delay. As you look in Mark chapter 25 and verse 34, or, or Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34, Jesus says, all right, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll lay my hands on your daughter. It'll be okay. And so off they go. And can you imagine how that would take place? Too? Have you ever been in a hurry and you're walking with somebody and, and they may not seem to have the same urgency that you have about it? And so you get up ahead of them and you're walking and, and you know, you're, come on, let's go. You know, I, I can see this guy just leading the way back to his house probably walking faster than everybody else wants to walk because there's a lot riding on this from his perspective. And as they're walking to his house, I I can imagine again, here's this woman who has an issue of blood that sees an opportunity to be cleansed because there's Jesus. And she breaks through the crowd and gets up behind him and just touches his garment. And Jesus felt the power leave him. And he stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples thought, well, that's a strange question because, I mean, there's a multitude of people around you. There's a mob, basically, around you as you're moving through and you ask who touched you. Well, everybody's touching you. And Jesus had reference to this woman and the woman knew that she had been cleansed. She could feel that she had been healed. And so she says, I did. So Jesus starts to have a discussion with this woman. Again, question. If you were this ruler of the synagogue, do you want this to take place? Are you wanting Jesus to waste his time, as you might see it, talking to this woman who had some disease? It wasn't terminal. 
She'd had it a good while. It's not like she's going to die from it. You need to get to my house. We don't have time for this. Leave him alone. I need him. My daughter's at the point of death. And Jesus has stopped talking to this woman. And, and the anxiety that could have existed in this man could have been heightened by all this delay. But you know what I see? I don't see a word recorded where this ruler of the synagogue said to Jesus, <clears throat> we got to go. We don't have time for this. You can, you can deal with her later. Let's go. My daughter's dying. There's not a word of rebuke to Jesus. There's not a word of we've got to speed things up. We don't have enough time. Apparently, he trusted Jesus. When Jesus said it's going to be okay, he took him at his word. And after this dialogue takes place and this delay with this woman, as they get back on their way, there's some guys who come, they come from his house and they say, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. There's nothing we can do. Can you imagine what that must have made him feel like to receive that kind of news? Ugh. I ran crazy trying to find him. I found him. And we're just that late. We were so close. We got delayed on the way home. We, we didn't make it. And I, I can see how that must have been a terrible, terrible situation, a painful situation for this man. But you know, there's a point here that I can learn from this man as well, and, and that is that we need to, when we trust God, trust Him completely, trust Him even in His timing. It's one thing to say, oh, I trust God, He'll take care of things, but let Him take care of it in His own time. John chapter 11, when Lazarus was healed, uh, brought back from the dead, uh, the disciples, well, I'm sure Mary and Martha would have liked Jesus to have done something earlier. He, they even expressed that to Jesus. If you just would have been here, this never would have happened. Allow God to work in His own time. Yeah, Lazarus died. It was painful, but look what good was a result of his resurrection. Zacharias and Elizabeth, Lord, give us a son. We want a son. And they prayed and prayed and never got an answer until they're older. And God said, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. His name will be John. He'll be a forerunner to Jesus. It was just a timing issue. Trusting God and trusting Him in His own time, just let Him take care of things. And I, I have a problem with that, and, and I have difficulty with that. I trust God, but I want those things that I'm praying about and that worry me and that stress me, I want them to be fixed now. But oftentimes, maybe it's the journey and the exercise of faith that takes place on that journey that God wants me to go through that will strengthen me before the trouble is fixed. Trust God as this man did. And then there was finally a, a powerful deliverance. When Jesus comes to the house, they finally arrive. It's too late. 
there are people there, just like when someone dies, people come to your house, and they're grieving with them, and, and they say, she's in there, and she's, she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they thought, they, they, they laughed at him. We know a dead child when we see a dead child. We know when a person is dead. This girl's dead. There's, there's more to going on here than just being asleep. Who are you? You haven't even seen her. You just come off the street and you come in and say, she's not dead. Of course she's dead. So Jesus sent everybody away except for the mother and the father and a couple, three of his disciples. And they walked in the room. He laid his hands on her. And she gets up and walks. I can't imagine what that mother and father must have felt. I can't understand the depth of gratitude that they must have felt toward Jesus. The relief, the awe, the love. They've raised, he's raised my daughter. This father, who the last time had seen his daughter, she was alive and, and at the point of death, and he pulls himself away to go find Jesus. He goes and finds him. And during the, the, the intermittent time, she dies. And as he came in that room, what, what do you think his thoughts were when he saw his daughter dead, when he left her alive? Don't you know he was heartbroken? Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? Consider your own children. And then for Jesus to lay hands on her and she gets up. How could you ever say no to Jesus? How could this man and his wife ever speak an unkind word about Jesus? It'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? This man gave life to my child. Jesus does that to us, and he's given life to your children, and to yourself, and to your spouse, and maybe to your mother and father and your grandparents, people you love more than anything. Jesus hasn't just given them physical life, he has given them spiritual life, that they may not die in a devil's hell They'll live forever in eternity. He has given them life. How can I ever speak an unkind word about Jesus? How can I ever fail to express my appreciation and love for Jesus who has done so much for my family and for myself? Folks, from this story, I ought to learn to have a sense of gratitude for Jesus. He's been, as the song says, God is so good. He's so good to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 through 58, the Apostle Paul said, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God has been so good to us. We are so indebted to him. Let's live as though we recognize that sense of indebtedness. 
Let me close in the same way that I began and just remind you of another songwriter. He was born in 1884. His name was Luther Bridges. He too had some tragedies that occurred to him in his life. His, um, he was a preacher and he had gone on a trip to Kentucky to preach in a revival. He brought his, do- his wife and their three children with him, his three sons, and uh, they visited at her parents' house in Kentucky, and he left them there and then went on further to this place where he was preaching. He finished preaching one night and received a telephone call, early 1900s. And uh, what he could barely hear on the other end of the line was a phone call informing him that his in-law's home burned to the ground. And along with it, his three sons and his wife were killed. That evening, it is told that in his grief, he went back to the place where he was staying. And he wrote this line. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. For a faith, what would you give for a faith that in the midst of life and death trials and struggles, you can look to Jesus and find hope. Folks, he gives us that. If we will come to him, humble ourselves before him, trust in him and his timing, he will heal us and he'll take care of us. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, give your life to him. We serve a good God who loves us. It's time to surrender your will to His. We owe it. How can we ever say no to one who is willing to do so much for us? If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ, why don't you take that step this morning? We'll assist you in that. And when you have done that, God will forgive you of all your past sins. If you're a child of God already, having done those things, but... You haven't been faithful. Maybe you haven't been as humble or as trusting in Him. Maybe you haven't been as appreciative for Him or to Him for all that He's done for you. We'll pray with you if it is your desire that you might be stronger and more faithful in the future. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.